John chapter 2. I I overheard this morning somebody was remarking on the title this morning. That's exactly how they felt. Like they were running on empty. And you know, that, that can happen for a lot of different reasons. It can be because we're facing things that are tough, that are unexpected, and things just just literally just sideswipe us. Uh, some of us, our gas gauge is broken and we didn't know we were nearly out of gas. I have a friend that that used to happen to him all the time. He said that he could watch the odometer and always know when he was running out. His wife said that he didn't do math that well. <laughs> he was always having a call. And, and it was kind of funny. He told me one time he, he got a diesel pickup the next time because that kept him more honest with the gas gauge. <laughs> he was able to... He did not want to run out with that, and it was easier on him to remember, I've got to get gas. Uh, some of us, you know, we just, you, you burn the candle at both ends, and then all of a sudden you realize you've burned more than you had to give. And we just end up not having enough to get through, whether that's energy or strength or, or the emotional energy to deal with what we're doing. It just, you know, sometimes it's kind of funny. When we say we're tired, that can mean different things. You come home and your body sometimes still has plenty of energy or at least caffeine. Mine does. Uh, and, and it's going to again anyway because, you know, Dr. Pepper is 10, 2, and 4. You know, the old marketing thing was to have a Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, and 4. My coffee pot has now become so accustomed to my pattern, which is more than 10, 2, and 4, that it has started just turning itself on at random times like you probably need it. I don't know. So I... I would get a new coffee pot, but I kind of like the idea. <laughs> it just keeps coming back on. But you sit down at the end of, end of the day sometimes, and your body still has plenty of energy to go. But emotionally, it's just not there. You know, physically, you're actually a little antsy. You feel like you ought to go walk around the block or something. But emotionally, you don't have it. Or you're brain tired. You know, you just, you, you, everything has taxed you. You know, maybe, maybe you were doing your taxes. That has a way of draining a lot of things, doesn't it? And, and that's coming, isn't it? And, and he just, you don't have it. Well, Jesus, his first miracle is an example of that, dealing with somebody who had a wedding, an exciting moment. But weddings are draining, you know, weddings and funerals. They're both kind of uh, interesting times. They have us on emotional roller coasters, lots of ups and lots of downs. Maybe a lot of funerals don't have so much the ups unless it's certain funerals. But we won't get into that this morning, will we? But, uh, you know, just... But you do because a lot of times when you get together, you laugh and you share stories and the things you loved about a person. And you do actually end up having sometimes some really encouraging times, even in the midst of sorrow. And uh, you just but that wears you out. You go home and you just you got nothing. Right. And uh, like a whoopee cushion under an elephant, there's nothing left to give. You're just done. Remember that one. That's a good one, isn't it? Paints a picture. John chapter 2, and this will actually, it'll be up there. I'll just stand back here so I can remember what's, what's up there. In John chapter 2, we, we read this story, and this is one that a lot of you, uh, even if you don't have a, a long church background, you probably know or at least vaguely know this story about Jesus turning water to wine. And uh, that's what we're looking at this morning. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also invited to the wasn't also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My mother, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. 
And they filled them up to the brim. And he, he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the wine or the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the, the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. All right. Now we've got a, a couple of things going on here with this story. And uh, since this is a church of Christ, we're going to get the, the easy one out of the way first. Okay. When Jesus turned water to wine, what did he turn the water into? No, he didn't. Did he? He did? Well, good night. I'm going to go back out and check the sign. No, I'm kidding. Yes, he did. It was so fun. You know, all different kinds of things we do. And I understand how this happens. Okay. No mocking or picking here whatsoever this morning. Just some good nature. We can laugh at ourselves kind of stuff. Right. And I, I can remember having a Sunday school teacher. And I've heard a preacher preach the same thing. That what Jesus actually created was the absolute best Welches you have ever had in your life. So good that they couldn't even tell the difference. That's not what it says. Now, one of the things that I was taught, and I love, credit where credit's due. One of the things that I was taught in the churches of Christ was this. I was taught and raised that what it says is what we're going to go by. And that if we have to say, now I know it says, but there probably ought to be a red flag go up. Why are we having to correct Jesus? Why do we have to correct the Bible? Why do we have to change what it said, right? So what did Jesus do? He did a miracle, you know, and, and he actually changed it into what they were expecting, but not expecting him to change it into, but what they were needing at the moment. Now, the reason that we get to this point, and we're not talking about this today, really. This is for our own discussion and learning and that kind of stuff. One of the reasons that we, we kind of, you know, I, surely Jesus didn't actually make wine, right, is because we we come from a background for the last 150 years. And that is it, okay? The background is only the last 150 years. Could be a great lesson another time. Better for a Sunday school class where we can have some back and forth. But uh, the, uh, the, our history for about the last 150 or so years has been that we are largely uh, teetotalers. Now, not entirely, not everybody, but a lot of people are. Now, let me say first, I'm not undoing any of that this morning. I'm just, and we're not even, this is not our main topic, except to say this, to say that that sometimes makes us read into Scripture what isn't there. Now, it is wonderful if that is your conviction, if that is your practice. And some people have reasons. I have a good friend. This is her practice and this is her conviction. Not from Scripture, she will tell you quickly. She believes that, that Scripture gives you some serious guidelines on how far is too far, but never outright bans. But she says, my dad was an alcoholic and he was abusive. And I just am afraid I might have that addictive, susceptible genetics. And I'm just not taking the chance. All you can do is honor somebody who says that. You know what I'm saying? And that's where a lot of people come from. And that's why 150 years ago when there was such a problem. That's where a lot of that mindset came from. But we shouldn't let that taint our reading of the Scripture. Scripture should inform our convictions, not our convictions. Scripture. That's the real lesson I want you to get out of this part. Is we're going to read Scripture for what it says and let that inform our convictions, not the other way around. Because we get in a lot of trouble when we read into the text. That's called eisegesis. Eisa meaning into. 
the text instead of exegesis, which is when you interpret out of the text, which is the good way to do it, right? Okay, so all of that, just put that in your hat and keep that for later. And if you want to email me, my email address is curlycox at... No. <laughs> no. I'm kidding. You can find mine. It's real easy. It's, it's just write it to earlychurchofchrist at gmail.com. I'll be gone tomorrow. It's a holiday. <laughs> Seriously, though, when Jesus does this, this is the incredible part. Not any of that. The incredible part is what happens that can't happen. That's what we call a miracle. What happens that cannot, by all the laws of nature, by all the laws of physics, by all the laws of science, is not supposed to have happened. And this, while it's just... We kind of become accustomed as Christians to these kind of miracles. We will look at this and almost read this like, well, but it was just water to wine. Big whoop de doo You go try it. I dare you. You know, turn, go turn water to iced tea without a tea bag. Do something easy. Easy stuff. You can't do it. You can sit there and stare at that water glass all day long. It ain't going to happen. This is as big a miracle, even though we kind of tone this one down, as anything else. It's as big as the resurrection. Look at what it says was the result. Here in the text, John tells us that Jesus manifested the glory of God through what was simply resupplying the wine supply at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. I find that interesting. But I find more interesting what it tells us about the heart of God and the heart of Jesus because that's really what John is trying to get us to see. Not just that he's, he's Lord of creation and can speak things into becoming something else, but more why did he do it in the first place? This is something I've always been fascinated with. Let's kind of back up and look at, at the situation. You've got a wedding. Now, weddings are, are a big deal in America. But I'll tell you what, an interesting thing, you go around the world, and sometimes they are bigger in third world countries than they are here. And they're a bigger expense to the family than they are here. Uh, and that's true. You go to Mexico, you go to, to uh, India. Weddings are huge. And they become like events. They're not just like an evening or an afternoon. Sometimes these things can be week-long events. Uh, when, you know, you go to another culture, you don't always know the style of music for different events. I thought I was hearing a wedding while I was teaching class in Cambodia one day because they're hooping and hollering and, and, and banging on the drums and tambourines. They had a bunch of tambourines and, and little cymbals and all of this stuff. And, and, and some of the, the Buddhist chants actually sounded a lot like what we think of as a Native American rain dance chant, you know, the that sort of a thing that you're not supposed to do anymore. But there it was. And that's kind of what it sounds like. And they're going down the road. And I'm teaching class, and I said, well, that's pretty catchy. And they all look, you know, of course, I don't know how catchy translates into Cambodian either. So I really don't know what they heard me say. But uh, whatever I said, it was inappropriate. Imagine that. And I could tell by the looks on their faces. And I said, what kind of music is that? And they said, well, that's a funeral. <laughs> I'm sorry. But <laughs> so then we talked about funerals for a minute. But for both events, they would block off the entire block, the entire neighborhood for a week. And people who make maybe 100 to $200 a month may spend thousands of dollars on a wedding. You know, in proportion, much more than even an expensive wedding in the U.S. Some of them spend a year's salary or more just on that, that, that wedding. But it might take a week. And they will block off the street. And your neighbors are just like, 
great. <laughs> there went my parking. And because and, they don't ask, it just happens. They put up a tent and speakers the size of, of about four of these per speaker, about four times the size of that speaker. They will put out there at high volume for like 24 hours a day, singing and playing and talking and everything else because it's a big deal. I mention that because, frankly, a wedding like the one we're talking about here, pretty similar. An, ex- an extravagant affair with a, a days-long celebration. There were also Jewish ritual and, and religious ritual involved in it. That's why these vases were there. These water jars were there. And then they run out. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're running out of wine or chicken fried steak. That is going to be a problem. And you know who it was that went to Mary, I bet, don't you? Who do you think went to Mary? Mother of the bride, right? Probably so. What can you do about that? Well, I don't know what we're going to do. Do you think there's any, where do you have any at your house? You know, and, and wonder what in the world they're going to do. What does Mary do? I find this fascinating. There's a couple of layers here I find fascinating. The first is she goes to her son. Now, John tells us he hadn't done anything publicly that would give her any reason to think that he's going to do something like this. Nobody expected this of him. We don't know what Mary expected. No idea. What she thought her son was going to do about it. She may have thought, hey, can you run down to Walmart? But that's not what Jesus did. And I don't actually think it's what she expected. But we don't know fully. But we do know his reaction first. She comes to him and says, you've got to do something about this. And Jesus says <laughs> what you don't say now. You know, again, different tones. The term he uses is respectful. When we read it in English, it doesn't sound that way. Well, woman, what has this got to do with me? It's not the way he said it. He, he uses a term of endearment and respect. And he, he says to her, ma'am, this is not my problem. I don't know. What do you want me to do about it? First, isn't it refreshing that even Jesus gets some things brought to him where he's like, I don't know. What do, what, what do you want me to do about it? And this isn't my problem. So that's why there is now divine sanction every now and then. You can go, I don't know. <laughs> you know, except for one thing. It doesn't work on mama, does it? This is the other layer with Mary. Look at what she does. In, in, here in the scripture, look at what she does. Uh, verse uh, two, 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus says to him, they don't have any wine. And Jesus says to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour hasn't yet come. The mother said to the servants. She said to who? The servants. She doesn't say it to Jesus. Don't you love it? That is such a mother. It just is. She, she, he says, I don't know what that has to do with me. She looks at the servant and says, y'all do whatever it is that he says to do. And don't you know, Jesus was like, I've seen thousands of years of mothers. Now it's been done to me. I know how those men felt, you know, all that time. I was like, guys, why didn't you just do what she said? Now I'm like, what are you doing? You know, this sort of a thing. And what's he going to do? So he looks at the servants. What do they have? They had these jars of water. That have, it's kind of like the loaves and the fish. What do you, what do you, because I can't say fishes because that was wrong when I was a kid. That's going to become a thing now. I'm so old, I can remember when the plural of fish was fish. Now they have two more letters and it's wrong. It's in the dictionary, but it don't make it right. Anyway, if fishes is correct, I say ain't gets official recognition. Let's, let's say that. Okay. So it's like, it's like the loaves and the fish where he says, well, what have we got? We got some water jars. Well, what are those for? You know what? Have you ever thought about it? this was almost like eating the showbread? This is almost like that, which I understand Bill Bedford actually did one time. He ate the showbread, according to Ramona, at a wedding. And uh, you have to get to tell the story. It's a great story. It's hilarious. But 
he looks around. Here's the water. The only water they have was actually for the, the purification rites. John includes this because it's one of those things where you're not really supposed to be using that. This is almost like saying, what are we going to do? All the people are thirsty. Well, they're small cups, but it's something, you know. What are we going to do? And so this is what they use. It. They bring in the waters to Jesus, and he does his thing, this God thing. Why did he do it? The, the, the first thing to me that always comes to mind is the simplest thing. And I, I think it's simply this. Jesus actually cares. He actually cared that this family was going to be embarrassed, that they were frustrated, that it was going to ruin this young lady's day. And he cared. I don't think it's more complicated than that. Why did he, you know, he says it's not really the time. This isn't how I planned to actually make my ministry known. And isn't that something? God is a little more flexible than we may think God is. Plans can change. Plans do change. Abraham tries to bargain over Sodom and Gomorrah. Unfortunately, they couldn't find even ten righteous people there. But even that looking for ten was a bargain down, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. God was willing to consider a change. In the desert, God was so tired of their bitterness, their rebelliousness, and their bad attitude that he almost didn't have them wander for 40 years. He almost just had them done. And Moses goes to him and says, you know, that's not going to look good. People are, are, are fearful of you. They're starting to respect that you are Jehovah God. You are Yahweh. But if they hear that you wipe your people out in the desert, they're probably going to think, and I don't want anywhere near that one. Wow. And God says, good point. Spares them, sort of. Consequences, but not like that. Keeps his promise to give them the land just to the next generation instead. God is more flexible. And what really moves him is our need. Those moments when we are, are at rock bottom, we're running on empty, we can't do it ourselves. Elijah, after the, uh, he didn't do it, God did it. But after seeing and, and showing Israel God's power as the prophets of Baal were humiliated at Mount Carmel. It's a major triumphant moment where God's power is shown. Elijah gets scared. The queen, Jezebel, the king, Ahab, had put out a death warrant on Elijah. If you don't know the story, that's the important part for this moment. They put out a death warrant on Elijah because they've been humiliated by him and by God's power working through him. He gets depressed. It's the best way to describe it. He's drained. He's empty. He is out. He's out of juice. He's got nothing left. He goes, has, to put it quite honestly, a pity party for himself. God comes to him and says, you know, what are you doing? Sends an angel to, to tend to him. But what are you doing? Eat, sleep. You'll get better. He does that for a few days. Starts to perk up. Reminds him, you're not alone. Refills his tank a bit. And Elijah is able to get up and carry on the rest of his, his ministry. But he was face down, flat, run out, drained. In that case, because of good he had done. And that happens, doesn't it? Sometimes it's not actually the challenges. It's not, it's not the, the hardship. Sometimes it's good stuff. You can, you can burn yourself out doing really good stuff. Because we're not meant to do that on our own strength alone either. The good we do in Jesus' name, we're meant to do by Jesus' power. And when we find out that we've burned ourselves out, who is there to pick us back up? Who's there to pour a little bit of wine back into our cup, so to speak? It's Jesus. Because he actually cared. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's look over there. This one won't be up on the, the screen though. You'll have to do a little bit of flipping or clicking. Hebrews chapter 4. 
Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet we, without sin. Let us then. Let us then why? Let us then. Because we know that he's been through what we've been through. Because we know that he's actually had moments where he's been running on empty. Remember when he was sound asleep in the boat and the disciples are like, dude, don't you even care? We're about to die. Would you wake up and do something here? It was because he was sound asleep. Even the boat was, though the boat was being rocked and just about to break apart. He was that tired. He was that empty. Jesus at times had to go off to lonely places, it says, and pray. He had to get his cup refilled too. So since we know that even Jesus can empty his tank, what do we now know too? That he understands when we say, God, I got nothing left. I'm, you're going to have to help me here. I got nothing. He understands. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in our time of need. He says, don't worry about that. If it's because you're empty, fine. That is part of our human experience. That's not negative. That's reality. We get empty. We get tired. Don't be too proud. Don't be too fearful. Don't be too stubborn to ask for a little bit of help. Whether that is from a brother or a sister or Jesus himself. So they go to Jesus. They ask for help. I don't know what Mary expected or anybody else. But I know what the servants saw. They see Jesus transform water into what the, the host of the wedding said was the best they'd had. So with everybody else, and this is kind of funny, it's, an, it's a funny insight into their culture, isn't it? I, I think this part's hilarious. You know, everybody else waits until everybody's too wasted to know the difference. That's Bible. That's what he says. It's just the newer King James Version, right? The, the not-so-King James Version. Maybe that's what we'll call it. That would be a great title. You actually brought out the best stuff. What is that about? That tells us two things. Jesus doesn't skimp. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus doesn't skimp. He could have just said, listen, I don't even think they need any more. We're doing box stuff. He doesn't even do it. He brings out the very best. I think that's because it is a reflective of who he is and his divine nature. Jesus couldn't have made it bad if he wanted to. Well, he could, but you see what I'm saying. On purpose and by his nature, it reflected who he was. The very best for the people he wanted to bless. I believe the same is true for every single one of us. God wants to bless you with his very best. But you notice it didn't happen without somebody asking. And she was pretty persistent. And Luke 18, Jesus gives us a parable that says that he's actually really good with somebody who just keeps on knocking and is persistent. In fact, he tells us to be persistent. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep knocking. Acapella did a twist on that passage, Ask, Seek, and Knock. It said, Ask, Seek, and Knock real loud. I like that song. Sometimes that's what it is. That's all right. That doesn't bother God. He says, come to him with confidence when you have those needs. The other thing is he guides. Mary tells these servants, I want you to pay attention. You do whatever he says. Now, this is where we sometimes don't get his blessing and where we end up with not the best. We try to second guess God and we don't, you know, we, we want him to fix it. But we also say, you know, I want you to fix it, but I'm going to tinker back here at the same time. You ever had somebody who was kind of a mechanic that's not a mechanic, who's not at all a mechanic or a plumber? Otherwise, like, yes, plumbing. We've seen that where the plumber comes. We'll stick with the plumber. The plumber comes and while he's working on one thing, the husband says, you know, I think I can go ahead and get that part that was back here, though. 
And what do you know? The wife knows what the plumber knows. Cha-ching! <laughs> you know, we're, we're about to have to do more work because or if it's the mechanic. Yeah, you work on that up there. I'm going to go ahead and fix the brakes back here. Mm, he's going to make it go, but we're not going to stop that kind of thing. We do that. We do that. Just let God show you what to do. Mary's message was the servants. I don't know what he's going to do, but you just do whatever he says. He knows what he's doing. And that's the message we need to get into our life. God knows what he's doing. Jesus has got this. So when he says, this is how I want you to live, live that way. Say, why? Well, but I don't. Yeah, live that way. Go back and read Genesis 12 to 15 and learn to live that way. Why Genesis 12 to 15? Because that is where Sarah decides. I know God promised that we would have a baby, but maybe I could work something out through our maidservant, Hagar. No, it did not work well. We've talked about this. Half of the news that you'll see tonight is based on her mistake of just not stopping fiddling. Hagar gives birth to a man named Ishmael. Ishmael is the ancestor of the Arab world. Islam traces back. They trace themselves back to Ishmael versus Isaac. And God says way back in Genesis, they're always going to be at each other's throat. Get used to it. It's that big a mistake. And I really believe that's there. Not just so we'll understand the headlines. I believe that's there to remind us just like God have it. Stop trying to tinker. And when he tells you a way that this can work, work it his way. All these guys had to do was fill up jars. Sometimes all you need to do is just, God, here's everything I had to work with. I don't see what you're going to do with that. Just give it to him. He'll surprise you. Just trust his guidance. Finally, Jesus does his thing and transforms it to wine because that's what he does. And he does it with you and he does it with me. He can, if he can do it with water... And he does it with mud, you know, John 9. He heals the blind man with just spit and dirt, making a little bit of mud. Because it really didn't matter what he had to use. It's what, it's, it's the one who uses it that matters. God can use anything. If he can use a jar of water to save a wedding. If he can use mud to save the sight of a blind man. If he can use the simple touch of his hand to heal a leper. What can God do? Through a living, breathing, gospel-reading, praying, God-believing Christian like you. Think about that for a second. If he can use mud, what can he do with you? He can do incredible things when we trust him to let us transform us into what he wants us to be. When we trust him, you know, when he says, listen, I know you think and feel this, but trust me in this. I got a new way for you to think and a new way for you to feel, and it will make things better. Trust me. They did. He did. We do. And he will. That's what he wants us to know. It was never about a wedding. It was never about wine. It was always about the transformational love and grace of Jesus Christ who cares for you, who guides you, and who can transform you that you can be more than you ever thought or imagined. Isn't that what we read earlier? Turn over back to that passage in, Hebrew, or excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 3. It was our call to worship this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness 
of God. Now to him who is able to do more, far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I like uh, the old NIV on that. Than all we ask or imagine. According to the power that is at work. But that's not where the sentence ends. According to the power of God. The power of Christ that is at work in us. For whatever reason, God has chosen this. He has chosen it. He wants His glory now. You know, John said in chapter 2 that the glory of God was shown in what Jesus did that day. How much more glory is shown when people see you transformed from water to wine, from lost to saved, from saved to a life that reflects the mercy and the grace of God in its love for God and neighbor. How much more will people finally see the glory of God in you? And it all begins with the simplest of steps. In Romans chapter 6, he is reminding the Roman Christians of some things that maybe they had forgotten a little bit. In verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says, I want you to remember there was a moment for you when you went down into the water and you died. Spiritually, you let it all go. You admitted that the gauge was on empty. Isn't that really what confession is? God, I got nothing. You have everything. I need you. And you go down into the water. That confession still fresh on your mouth and your heart. And we die to that old life. And it's buried and it's gone. Aren't you glad it done in there? And then we are raised to walk in a new, transformed life. I don't know why God likes water so much, but He does. And so we come up out of the water as different in our nature and our being as wine and water. Completely transformed. If you need to make that confession and that transition into a new life this morning, we invite you to do so as we stand and as we sing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing?